Good morning. All right, well, someone's awake. <laughs> Could you, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 as well as John chapter 15 and 16. Uh, today is the final part or the final message in a series that we did on life in the Spirit. Uh, Baptists often don't talk about the Holy Spirit for whatever reason, uh, but we spent four solid weeks on it, and we're on the fourth message in the final three points. So we're covering it um, as far as kind of a systematic way or a biblical way on looking at what is the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit actually, and what does he do? What should we expect from him in our lives as believers in Christ? And we've covered seven points, and I'm getting to the final three today. You could probably, if you want to do this, uh, make it 20 points or condense it down to four. So uh, I'm not suggesting that there are 10 exact points. It's just the best that I can do in uh, the message and the time that I have. So hopefully it'll be a blessing to you because, quite frankly, um, in life in Baptist circles or in churches, oftentimes the Holy Spirit is really misunderstood and there are a lot of things attributed to the Spirit of God that shouldn't be, and some things that aren't that should. And so we're really trying to kind of demystify who God really is and what He should be doing in our lives and what you should expect and, and how that all operates together. So as a brief review, we're just going to cover a few slides here. In part one, we talked about the Spirit fills us when we believe. And that seems maybe so simple for you if you've been in church for a while, but if you're sitting here today and, and have never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is what the Bible says, among other things, that happens when you make that decision. You are literally born again in your spirit, and the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of God, indwells you as well as all believers. And so you have this incredible gift from God, and the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit sealing us as a guarantee for someday we will not just be born again now, but we will be resurrected and we will live forever with Christ. And so it's this promise that it's a deposit that says, hey, we have a future hope. The second thing is when we pray, we're not just simply talking to God, but literally the Holy Spirit, according to the book of Romans, intercedes for us according to the will of God and groans too deep for words. Not like a secret prayer language. The Bible doesn't talk about that. It's literally groans too deep for words. So whatever is going on there, whenever we pray, literally something supernatural is happening. The Holy Spirit is interceding before God for us. And so there's this incredible blessing that when we pray, we literally get to speak to God and the Holy Spirit is miraculously at work in our lives. And then number three, in, in the second part of the, the series that we covered, the Spirit has set us free. And I want to camp out here for just a second because you truly need to understand this. If you've trusted in Christ to redeem you, to save you from your sins, you're no longer under the power of sin. You've been set free from the power of sin and death. And so many believers, I don't think, really appreciate that truth. They so often get ensnared and, and just literally uh, almost put themselves captive under sins that had been dominating them 
and controlling their life forever. Maybe they were this, they, they just, they almost label it as something different. They refuse to actually acknowledge that it's sin. They'll just say, well, I'm fearful, or I'm a worry war, or I'm just bitter and angry. And they'll describe it as their personality rather than what it really is. It's a life-dominating sin. And that is not you. You are a new creation in Christ. You've been set free. You no longer have to be under that domination and control. So that's this wonderful, wonderful gift that God gives us when we make that decision. Then the Spirit leads us when we set our minds on the things of the Spirit. John 6 talks about, Jesus says, my word is life and spirit. So when we set our minds on, on the things of the Spirit, God's Word, His promises, then we are led by the Spirit, if you do that. A lot of times people claim to be led by the Spirit, and they're not really doing any of that. They're just kind of wandering around being spiritual. And we'll find out today, there are lots of different spirits in this world, or at least Jesus talks about it, and Paul talks about it, and there is only one true Spirit. And to be led by the Holy Spirit, you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. It's impossible to do that if you don't know what those things are. Finally, the last um, point in part number two was we worship in the Spirit. We talked about this once again. Worship in the Spirit isn't actually this this morning, technically. In fact, between the Gospels and Revelation, worshiping in the Spirit is never tied or associated with singing, prayer, or a message at all. Romans talks about true worship in the Spirit is this living sacrifice. Daily, we worship in spirit and truth. So the idea is not that you come and say some words and sit for a time or a period of time in a place. It's truly when people look at your life, they see you as a follower of Jesus you're being changed. Your character is being changed into Christ-likeness. That's true worship. And I think you could probably even understand that reality if you know people of a different faith who are truly trying to worship what I would believe would be a false god. If you see someone who is worshiping a different god, but they are truly trying to do that, they're not just simply going to a place once a week. You would see that even in a general sense as worship, but we are to worship in the Spirit. All right, part number three, last week, we or the week before last, we covered the Holy Spirit helps us understand the Word of God. This isn't a claim of, of some sort of inerrant interpretation as you read the Scriptures. It's just simply the light comes on, for lack of a better term. Number seven, the Holy Spirit fills us with joy and peace in believing, abounding in hope. And I just want to review a couple quick scriptures here because this is another area that is so often twisted when you hear about the Holy Spirit. Have you ever run across someone just says, I'm filled with the Spirit. And they put a little smile on their face and they're dancing around. And you're like, man, that's pretty cool. I would like to have that. But is that just something they're making up? Maybe, I don't know. But you can easily figure it out real quick. Because it isn't just this general attitude, smiling, being joyful, painting this smile on your face every once in a while and trying to grin and bear it. No, there is a true joy and peace. Romans 15, 13 says this, 
May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I think we have that in the next slide there. Also, Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So this joy and being filled is very specific. It's looking at aspects of life and choosing to believe God's promises and live accordingly and not allowing someone or something to steal that from you. So your joy and peace in believing, and that results in a hope. There are some in here today that are facing a situation in this world that is truly without hope. Maybe it is uh, something that you've dealt with all your life and you've lost hope. Maybe it is um, some sort of disease that there's no hope in this world because it's incurable. I don't know what it is, but here's the difference. You see, we belong to the kingdom of God if you've trusted in Jesus. And that kingdom cannot be shaken and it cannot be destroyed. Nothing in this world can touch it. Therefore, because it is eternal, you can have hope no matter your situation in this world. So even if you are in a hopeless situation in this world, you can have joy and peace in believing because God's word talks about that which is transcendent to this life. And you have a hope in the future. Jesus' return, a resurrection to life. And so it radically changes everything. But if you don't know the truth in which you can believe, you can't have the joy and peace in believing, therefore your hope seems like it's something just to be grasped but never actually held to. And so once you do that, the kingdom of God is not, no longer just a matter of eating and drinking like maybe we did over the holidays. If you've noticed, I hope many of you had a great Christmas and you're looking forward to a, a new year, but uh, I don't see anyone down here like dancing and full of joy because of the presents they got. In fact, I've asked a couple of you about your presents and you're like, what present? Oh, that one. I hope they didn't hear me. Yeah, that one was great. I really liked that shirt. Or, I mean, it's, it's just, no one has joy over a present beyond about five minutes. You see this if you have kids. Like the very next day, the kids are already done playing with their toys. That You spend so much time and effort trying to find them, right? And you're like, what do I got to do to keep it up? Well, there's nothing you can do. I, I noticed this as I was working at the gym. I was watching TV, really working hard uh, at the gym. And uh, you start out, like you, you move from your parents' house, which is usually this nice big house, into this tiny little shack of a place that you rent. And you spend your whole life getting a bigger and bigger and bigger house. And then finally you begin downsizing back to a tiny, tiny, tiny room in like an old age home where you have nothing. And it's like this false joy that you're accomplishing something when you're just on the hamster wheel. But true joy is in God that, that is beyond this world. It's not just eating and drinking, but righteousness. 
If you've never been set free from sin, if you don't know what it means to finally understand that there is a God who created this entire world and you know his will specifically in your life and you can do that and get up every day and know at least in that area that you're pleasing the God of all creation and that's all you need to do. You don't have to achieve anything or be anything. You just have to please him. Then you'll know that peace and righteousness that only comes from God. That does not come from a degree. It doesn't come from a raise or a position or anything else. That is life in the spirit, that joy and peace and believing. Well, finally, part four. There are three points we covered today. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts empowers service and activities for the common good as he wills. And that's a lot. That's a mouthful, but we'll cover that relatively quickly. The Holy Spirit and these next two, when we talk about life in the Spirit, we're generally focused on our own hearts and what's going on in our lives. But the next two here are an outward focus because part of knowing God is this joy and you want to basically share that joy. And these, these next two help you. It says the Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. Secondly, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we'll finally finish up on one last little caveat about what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. Sometimes it, people get confused. And so we'll talk about a passage there in John with that final point. So first of all, let's get uh, to the, the heart of the matter in, in point number eight. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts and power, service, and activities for the common good as he wills. Um, let's turn to 1 Corinthians. As you're getting there, if, if you haven't already, Hebrews 2, 3 through 4 is another verse, and, and I've done this throughout this series. I'll throw in a few other verses as I can. I can't cover all of them in the New Testament. But it says this. This is the writer of Hebrews writing, and he says, describing our salvation. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit is very controversial. In Hebrews here, it's putting it in context of history. When the salvation in Christ appeared, certain things happened. They're not repeatable. We're not getting 12 new apostles. Not happening. We're not having another Pentecost where the Holy Spirit pours out his Holy Spirit and there are tongues of fire. That's not happening. We don't have Paul on the scene repeating himself. We shouldn't expect that out of the New Testament. So one of the aspects of the, the idea and the concept of gifts of the Holy Spirit is, do they continue as they always have been, as we see them in the book of Acts? And I would suggest some do and some don't. So let's get to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Let me read. And we're going to cover this at a 10,000 foot level, so we can't dive deep here. But I want you to understand the general just, or the general gist, rather, of 
Paul here in his letter to the Corinthians. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, this should excite you if you're interested in spiritual gifts. But unfortunately, it might disappoint you as well because you'll see his point here in just a minute. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Well, that's good. Sounds like we're, we're getting somewhere. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So that's his point. He's differentiating between false idols, demons, whatever, and the Spirit. And there's a specific distinction, and it has to do with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. And it is only through him and that you can come to know God and confess him as Lord. And he's about to use a variety of different things to explain that there is only one true spirit. And that's his point here. Because they were about to, in fact, they kind of got confused. There were a variety of gifts, there were a variety of activities and services, and they were thinking apparently that there was a different Holy Spirit for each gift and activity. Paul's whole point in the passage that we're about to read here is that however God manifests himself, as he wills, it, there's just one spirit. So the point is unity in the church and God will move in a variety of ways. He doesn't get into all the various activities other than to make the point they're various. We come to this passage a lot of times and we try to dig in and say, well, what is this gift? What is that gift? He just gives a list of gifts. And his very point is, I'm not getting into the details, into the weeds. You just need to understand that there is one spirit and he gives a lot of gifts and what the purpose is for. So let's continue. He says this, verse four. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. A lot of times people want to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but they skip over this. The same spirit, there are varieties of service. So the Holy Spirit is involved in your service. Whatever service it is in the Lord, in the body of Christ, it is the spirit who empowers. Verse six, and there are a variety of activities. So very broad here. Gifts, service, and activities, it's all the same. He says, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. So if you're like me and you're like, really? I kind of wanted to know the difference here. <laughs> I wanted a nice little definition. Has anyone here ever taken a spiritual gift test? No one wants to admit it because they're entirely made up. I hope you know that. You don't find a spiritual gift test in the Bible. All pastors have done is they're trying to get their flock, their people who attend their church, they're trying to make you work. And to do that, they're pretty sly about it. They're like, we're going to give you a spiritual gift test. And whatever that test really points to, that's where we're going to put you to work. All they've done is adopted common sense psychology, which is, which is humanistic and atheistic. But they've adopted that and brought it into the church. And if you've ever filled out all these things, well, do you like to do this? Do you like to do that? Do you not like to do this? It's just common sense. And then they try to shoehorn you into some little thing that says, 
you definitely are a children's worker, no matter what your answer is, right? <laughs> Somehow it always points to that. I don't know why. Now, that, that's entirely made up. Uh, anytime you talk about these spiritual gifts in the Bible, it's just a list is all it is. And we wish we had more information, but I believe the Bible is intentional in that area. It's intentionally nonspecific. Because I would have to imagine the services and activities and the gifts that were needed in the New Testament church are a little different than today, right? The New Testament church didn't have the New Testament. They needed prophets. They needed apostles bringing the very word of God that had yet to be recorded in the scriptures. Uh, they, needed, they didn't have this long history. They needed the testimony that this gospel was true of someone being raised from the dead or healed. I mean, they were, I mean, the gospel had not been presented to all the ends of the earth. And so they also didn't have cars. They didn't have parking <laughs> issues. We need someone gifted that helps with parking. We need someone gifted that helps with children's ministry. So all the activities and gifts vary over time, but they are all empowered by one true God. And so he lists some of these random gifts in verse 8. Oh, back to verse 7, sorry. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Notice it's not just gifts, but it's activities, service, it's manifest, manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It, it's not just for your own joy and fun uh, going out and doing YouTube videos or something. It's for the common good. It's for the building up of the church. Uh, it's not a private deal. Again, there's, there's some misunderstanding of the private prayer languages. I've heard it regarding tongues. No, it's for the common good. Verse 8, he says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another giving, uh, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. Notice verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So it's up to God to give gifts however he wants, whenever he wants. And so when we say certain gifts have ceased, it's not as though God couldn't reintroduce them, but it's just fairly obvious the gift of miracles is not occurring today. It's not that God doesn't do miracles today. Let me be very clear. We believe God does do miracles. We believe God does heal. We just don't believe individuals have a gift that they can do it basically on command. You don't have anyone in the church today that is just literally raising people from the dead. We have hospitals full of sick and dying children that, that need healing. We don't have any individuals over there just healing them and clearing those places out on command. We can pray, and this is one of the, the actual biblical evidences for this change is God commands us to pray for healing, to pray for miracles even. Because it's according to his will. 
And so we pray that God miraculously intervenes, but it's not as though we just have this gift that we can go around doing certain things. He has given it as he wills. And so continuing on, verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ, for it is one spirit. Once again, this theme, there's just one spirit, uh, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. If you get nothing out of that, I hope that you understand that the spirit or the discussion of the spirit, the understanding of spiritual gifts, activities, and service should not divide. It should unify. And if you have anyone taking the Holy Spirit and running and doing crazy things with it, they're dividing, they're, they're, they're mistaken. It's the same Spirit. And so I challenge you, if you have friends, if you have family members, dig into God's Word and come alongside and say, hey, I, I think you might have a misunderstanding of what this is all about. And so um, that's the gist of it. We could go through a lot more scriptures, but I want to move on here in just a second. It is as he wills for the common good. Lastly, if you are born again in here and you have trusted in Jesus, God has gifted you both naturally, he's your creator, and spiritually. What that ultimately looks like, even though I was just making fun of spiritual gift tests, I don't know but he has gifted you. The question is, regardless of what gift you may or may not have, is are you doing something? If, if your gift you believe is the gift of mercy, how are you using that for the common good? If your gift is simply service and you're like, I don't know, I can't, I'm not a Bible study teacher, I don't like kids, I can't sing, I can't, I'm definitely not a preacher, well, that's great. There's a whole lot that we're involved in that doesn't have anything to do with any of that. From technologies to missions to, to small group, just simply bringing food. And if you're like, I can't cook either, Scott. Well, Albertsons can. Just run by there, <laughs> right? There's something that you can do. There's many of you that work behind the scenes that just bless my socks off every single week just taking care of this building. There's a lot of work to be done, all sorts of stuff. So trust me, God can and will use you and your gifts if you allow him. All right, John 15, 15, 26. The Holy Spirit bears witness about Jesus. And there's just one verse that we're going to cover on this because it really bleeds into point number 10 as well. It could be a little different, so I'm grouping them somewhat together, especially considered the, the context. But I want to cover this. It will be very important for some of you. Some of you might not really uh, have matured enough uh, and have really been of any concern with this. But I believe it's, it's incredibly powerful and important. John 15, 26 says this. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, and that's important. Uh, we'll get back to that in just a little bit. 
He says, but when the, whole, uh, when the helper comes, or your translation might have the comforter or the counselor, or in Greek, it's simply the paraclete. Paraclete means all of those things. When the helper comes or the counselor or comforter comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, one of those many different titles that we covered early on, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So this could be more than what we're just talking about in point number 10 of conviction. This might be an audible witness where he was audibly inspiring the disciples in an audible voice and inspiring them in scripture, prophets, those sorts of things. That might be the case. But what you need to know is this. One aspect of life in the Spirit is God is at work in the world more so than just in your life. And you're a part of expanding the kingdom. And to do so, you have to be willing to share the good news. And here's what's really important. And and a lot of scholars and a lot of academics get caught up in this. It's called apologetics. They use it to describe a defense of their faith. In engaging other people with their faith, a lot of times they try to use intellectual arguments, evidences, all sorts of things. But ultimately, and they miss this sometimes because they get so caught up in this, and and some people in the church do as well, especially if you read this book or that book on witnessing, the thing that you hate more maybe than even children's ministry. Uh, Yeah, it is the Spirit who bears witness about Jesus. It's not your intellectual argument. It's not all the evidence in the world. The Holy Spirit bears witness. And a lot of people have set this aside because of their acknowledgement of other spirits at work in this world. One of the most common things is if any of you have uh, family members or friends in the LDS church, they oftentimes will describe this so-called burning in the bosom to verify what they believe to be true is. Whatever's going on there is not of the Spirit of God, but just because of that, people will set aside the truth that the Holy Spirit bears witness. They're like, well, other people make that claim, and if we make that claim, that's really no better or different. Therefore, we're not really going to talk about it. No, I don't know what's going on in their life. It was occurring in Paul's day as well, as we just saw in in Corinthians. But trust me, The real God, the Holy Spirit, bears witness. And we need to understand that truth. Not only the fact that it just happens, but you can be confident that when you share the gospel, the Holy Spirit is at work. It's not just of your own power. So if you've ever been afraid with maybe someone in your family that maybe you think smarter than you or is really arrogant or prideful or won't even admit certain truths. We're going to get to that in just a second, but just remember the very Spirit of God of all creation is at work. And one of the things that He promises to do is to bear witness about who Jesus is. So no matter the reply of your friend or family member, they know 
who Jesus is and who he claims to be. Whether they will admit it or not is a whole different story. But I can tell you, I've talked to a lot of people who had been uh, individuals who someone had shared the gospel with them over and over and over again. And they'd go, Scott, for years I used to just annoy my you know, preacher cousin. I would tell him, I don't know who Jesus is. I don't believe in him. But they go, all the time, I knew what he's talking about. I knew the truth. I just didn't want to accept it. And far, quite frankly, I was tired of listening to him. But the Holy Spirit was at work. And continuing on in chapter 16, beginning in uh, verse, let's go with verse 4. Jesus says this, But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Verse 5, but now I'm going to him who sent me, referring to the Father, and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper, this is again the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, notice this, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin. He gets specifically specific here. Because they did not believe in me. So sin is specifically, at the very heart of it, rejecting Jesus and who he is. The rejection of God is sin. So whenever you're sharing the gospel, hopefully you are sharing you can be sure of this fact. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin. Basically, it is this inner feeling, but it is an inner feeling based upon the truth grounded in history of who Jesus is and all that he taught. The Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin because they rejected or did not believe in Jesus. Verse 10, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer see me. Jesus in the flesh was perfectly God. He was without sin. He was righteous. He was the reflection of the glory of God in the flesh. So this ultimate standard is Jesus. So if, if you're maybe trying to share the gospel with someone, they're like, you know, Scott, I, I've had this conversation, it doesn't go very well because the very person that I'm trying to share Jesus with, quite frankly, they're nicer than I am. They really are. I mean, what can I say? They work with me, they know me, I, I can try to fake it, but they know they're nicer than I am. I lose my temper a lot. And... Uh, I, I really don't know what's going on in their heart. I can't say that they're sinful because I don't really know them, but the, the, they're nicer than most people that I know. And, and it's hard to tell them that they need a Savior. Well, guess what? They're not nicer than Jesus. And, and the standard isn't just nice. The standard is perfection, holiness, perfectly without sin of any kind 
ever. I don't know of many people that will make that claim. And the interesting thing is this, no matter how irreligious or how antagonistic a person is to religion of any kind, or faith in Christ specifically, if you ask them, have you ever sinned? You don't even have to define what sin is. They're like, yeah, probably. (laughs) They're kind of like, yeah, I sinned, but I don't want to actually tell you what it specifically was. (laughs) That's amazing, right? Because if, if we go along with the atheistic theories today that we're just evolved animals, there should be, there is no standard of sin. It's just made up. And if it's just made up, why would people feel any guilt, any sort of conviction at all? We're just animals that are evolved, and we can choose right or wrong if that's true. But talk to anybody. You're like, is murder wrong just for the fun of it? Eh, Yeah, probably so. And if they say no, you might want to keep your distance. (laughs) Just saying. And even if they want to just be argumentative with you and like, oh yeah, well, whatever, maybe in certain cases, like, okay, let's set all that aside. If I robbed you, as a matter of fact, I want your money in your billfold now, would that be wrong? And they'd be like, okay, you got a point. I don't care who it is. Everyone understands righteousness and that we all fall short of the glory of God. And and that's the cool thing. When you begin sharing the gospel, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's not just a statement sitting out there intellectually. It's the Holy Spirit moving in their heart and they understand, wow, you know, I'm not hearing this on TV. I'm not hearing this from my coworkers and friends. I'm not hearing this from the local psychologist who says I just need to be a better person. They're actually hearing the truth maybe for the very first time and the Holy Spirit is actively using that truth in their heart to understand, hey, I'm in a bad, bad predicament here. I've sinned. I've not met the standard of righteousness. And what's worse, he concludes here, he says, it's not just sin, it's not just righteousness that, he, that he's talking about here. There's this one last thing, verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Everyone I know likes the idea of justice, especially when it comes to them. Even if it's something as simple as a car cutting them off in traffic, that was wrong. They want justice. Well, there is justice coming. The question is, do you have the answer? Have you the ability to stand before the God who will judge us all and say, I'm innocent, not because of anything I've done, Actually, I'm guilty for everything that I've done. But because I have trusted in the one person who God sent to save me. And that was Jesus. He died on the cross for your sins and mine. And so when you're sharing that, 
That's not just a statement. The Holy Spirit is actively at work in people's lives. And we read in Romans uh, uh, many months ago as we went through that book, some people God has given over to themselves and hardened their hearts, and they're not going to respond. The Holy Spirit is no longer active in their lives. But you don't know who the Holy Spirit is actually working on and who he is not. So it's up to us to share the message and know that it is not us who is ultimately going to convince a person. It is the very Spirit of God and His truth. We just have to be faithful in giving that message. And then finally, I promised you a little thing at the very end here to close on, just if nothing else, to help you understand some of the misinformation out there in regards to the Holy Spirit. Don't get caught up in this. Let's continue on verse 12 quickly. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them all. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you in the, th- uh, the things that are to come. I've heard a lot of people say that one of the roles of the Holy Spirit today in the lives of the church is to guide people in all truth. That is not true. Contextually, he's speaking to the disciples. The reason why I know that's not true, does anyone here know all truth? No, you don't. If you know any truth, you've put a lot of time working on it like the kids did trying to memorize it. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit isn't audibly speaking. If you do have a recording of that, I would love to hear it, but I have not heard a recording of the, the voice of the Holy Spirit, and he is not declaring future things. He's specifically, the context here is the disciples, the apostles, and the application in this case is you can have full confidence that the word of God was accurately, specifically given by the spirit of God. And the prophecies, especially contained in Revelation, aren't just a myth or something made up by man, but they were dictated and given by the very Spirit of God, and that all the truth that it contains is true and from God. I pray that your life is truly a life of joy and peace and believing, and that it's not just arduous and dry. If you have any question what it means to trust in Christ, Please see me after the service. I would love to talk to you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just thank you so very much that we can trust in your word, that you did lead your apostles into all truth. I just pray that we won't try to circumvent the the basic reality of digging in and knowing it ourselves, that we can live free, that we'll be brave enough to share your word, that we do know to allow your Holy Spirit to work as we do that, Father. Just to try it. Maybe there might be people in here this very day that have never, ever opened their lips in regards to sharing the gospel, the joy and the truth of Jesus with anyone. I pray that you'll give them an opportunity this week and just help them to sit back and watch you at work, Lord. I thank you that someone was bold enough and brave enough to share that message with me when I was a kid. I just give you praise and thanks for your grace in my life. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.